Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Media Boat Podcast. We are coming to you on the road again. Well, at least half of us uh, in a special recorded edition. We will be back live next week. But in the meantime, we're in your feeds, whether you're on YouTube or your audio feeds on your podcast service of choice. If you don't know what the Media Boat Podcast is, we are a podcast that talks about movies, television, video games, and music, not necessarily in that order. Today is November the 27th, 2021. Hope all you Americans here in the U.S. had a good Thanksgiving and are enjoying your four-day weekend if you were lucky enough to get one. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. I'm Mike. He's Matt. Yes, happy Thanksgiving. This is also our last episode of November, which means starting next episode, it's the final countdown for the end of the year. And end of the year lists start coming out every out of the woodwork. Indeed. We will have special episodes with our end of the year lists coming very soon in the month of December. But until then, we have a couple of regular shows to give you that before that happens. So let's get to it. Let's start where we always start, which is in movies. And we always start the movies section with the weekend box office numbers. And your number one movie this week, debuting at number one was none other than Ghostbusters colon Afterlife, the newest attempt at reviving the Ghostbusters franchise, made $44 million in its first uh, weekend out domestically. Not terrible, but also not great. Like, it seems like it did not take advantage of the um, Thanksgiving season and kind of just came out to... I don't know. A little bit. Well, of a Thanksgiving fart. numbers are coming out this weekend, so yeah, so. those are the pre-Thanksgiving numbers. So we'll see, but like probably underperforming, if you ask Sony. I mean, you could ask them that. Um, there are mumbles of it getting a <laughs> sequel, so well, yeah. we'll see if it does eventually like become profitable. Yeah, we haven't but, seen it, so no, we, we haven't seen it, but there is some good buzz about it. Yeah, I am seems- probably heading somewhere to the theater soon. Um, <laughs> there's like four movies that I, I want to see, and we'll yeah. talk about them. So We will see when that happens. We'll get there. In the meantime, let's talk about the rest of the top five here. Coming at number two, Eternals, with another $11 million. That's sitting at 136 so it'll limp to the 150 Maybe. <laughs> uh, number three. Maybe. Clifford- yeah, Maybe. Number three, Clifford the Big Red Dog continues to chip away $8 million this week, putting that at 33. Number four, King Richard with another $5.4 million, or no, a debut of $5.4 million. If that feels low, well, it is, but also that's also on HBO Max streaming right now. And rounding out your top five, Dune with another $3.1 million. That's at 98 million domestic. That will eventually hit that 100 mark. But not quite. And it will do that on the back of a re-release, an IMAX re-release. Yes, which I'm sure uh, comes we'll starting it. next week, I believe. Yeah, and that'll hopefully give it a little little bit boost to there. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on into our movie news this week. Just a couple of quick stories here. Uh, our new releases. Oh, I did skip new releases. Good call. Sorry, new releases first. And man, a little something for everybody this week. We start with Lady Gaga in the House of Gucci, which of course is your big Oscar bait. 
This is probably the debut of your Oscar season. Well, this and King Richard, I guess, is kind of the inauguration of award season here. So get ready for Gaga to be all over the place. Uh, Gaga and Adam Driver. And Adam Driver and as Al well. And Al Pacino and Jared Leto. Jared Leto. That's a and, very yeah. Oscar-nominated cast right there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But... If you're um, part of a family going to the movie theater this weekend, you'll probably see Disney's Encanto, which is the new animated film from, I believe, um, the direct... Who's directing this? Is this um, the Zootopia people? Yes, Zootopia. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, But yeah, uh, good buzz so far. It seems like a lot of of people are calling it one of the strongest... uh, movie animated musicals that they put out since Frozen. That's high praise. It is music and lyrics by Lin-Manuel Miranda, and I'm Mm -hmm. probably going to end up seeing it sometime next week. So I'll have thoughts on it next week. Cool, because, yeah, it's on on my list as well. Uh, I may or may not see it soon Mm -hmm. as well. It's just unfortunate that you have to go to a theater to see it. I would rather not, but, hey, we'll see. We'll see what happens. And then, lastly, in the new releases this week, Resident Evil, colon, welcome to Raccoon City. If you've been a lifer with the Resident Evil franchise, or if you just want to see Mila Jovovich again, here you go. Here's another one in the long-running series. Maybe it's all right. I don't know. You know what these things are at this point. I don't think this one is Mila Jovovich. I think think this is their soft reboot. Oh, is it? Based based off Resident Evil 3. Raccoon City. There's some sort of nemesis involved here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's what you got this week. Something something for someone, I suppose, in that lineup. So go see some movies on your Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah, if you are if you didn't know that this movie was coming out, good chance it's probably not for you. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Let's move on now into the movie news. A couple stories here. We start with a little story about Cinema Chain Cinemark which has been t- playing teamwork, like having a little teamwork with Netflix as of late. Apparently, the Cinemark chains have quietly been allowing Netflix to play films in most, if not all, of its locations. Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead played in 650 cinemas, while Red Notice played in 750 theaters nationwide a week before its launch on Netflix. Before the pandemic, Cinemark, like major theater chain rivals AMC Entertainment and Regal Cinemas, largely snubbed Netflix titles since the streamer wouldn't abide by a 90-day theatrical window. Cinemark Chief Marketing and Content Officer Wanda Gerhardt Fearing, that's a name, said in the company's statement, quote, in the past year, Cinemark has shown more than 10 Netflix films in our immersive environment. That's a really funny way to refer to a theater. (laughs) And we look forward to testing financially viable models for both parties that have an exclusive theatrical window to eventize, just gave me chills down my spine, key films. No surprises here. In the past, when we've talked about Netflix's relationship with the theater chains, we like we surmised that at some point they were going to make a deal with one of them to have some sort of partnership. And here's that happening. Here's that coming to fruition, finally. It's the way Netflix can kind of play into this zone. I mean, we did, we have been talking about Netflix literally buying up theater chains not chains but small independent theaters so they can play their uh, movies to be oscar nominated in the select 
Los Angeles and New York areas, this actually gives them the wider appeal. Right. And it was literally only a matter of time of either Cinemark or the Harkins brand <laughs> probably making that deal because they are considered low low level right. markets compared to AMC and Regal. Right. Who it gives, don't need Netflix. Yeah. It gives them a unique um, a unique thing that sets them apart from the bigger chains, uh, potentially, which is nice for them. So yeah, yeah. this could potentially be a smart move here. Mm-hmm. This sets them up for the aforementioned award season in case Netflix has something that they want to really push uh, come the end of the year. They can have a theatrical uh, debut of it lined up already, thanks to this partnership. All right. Yeah. So yeah, gets good moves, good business moves for both sides. I think so. I think so. Let's move on into our second story here, also about streaming because it's the only thing we talk about anymore. Well, it's also <laughs> like the the low um, holiday week where nothing really happened. Right. But this is for everybody wondering about the HBO Max streaming future. We've talked about it um, in the past, but here's an update specifically about movies under the Fox umbrella. So HBO Max will get its hands on Fox's film slate for one final year under an unusual deal to share streaming windows with Disney Plus and Hulu for half the studio's titles, starting with animated family comedy Ron's Gone Wrong next month. The deal is not expected to get renewed, as of course, Disney, going forward, will keep all the 20th Century Studios movies exclusively on its own streaming outlets because, hey, they own those like fully now, so why wouldn't they? Under the tweaked pact, HBO slash HBO Max will share co-exclusive rights with Disney Plus and Hulu to a selection of titles from 20th Century Studios and Searchlight Pictures. HBO slash HBO Max will retain pay one TV window exclusivity on approximately half the slate through 2022. In addition, Disney agreed to accelerate the start of the pay one window for the 20th Century Studios films on HBO slash HBO Max while still honoring the previously announced exclusive theatrical windows. But as mentioned, this will all phase out by after this expires and Disney will just put them on Disney Plus or Hulu depending on content. But for now- yes. But for now, HBO gets to continue a little longer with this deal with 20th Century. We'll have one mixed year yeah. in 2022 here, but then following it in 2023, everything will be much more cleanly cut, divided. Yeah, it makes sense. Disney wants to take advantage of owning all these properties eventually, uh, but they also don't want to screw over the, screw over them because it's like, well... If these deals already like exist, there's no reason to just like immediately. Well, pull if the they rug do out. try and screw them over, they'll get into some legal issues and yeah. have to spend all that legal money. Yeah, to try and fight it or you know settle. Yeah. It's easier just to say, oh, okay, we'll do it for one year since these are technically 20th century Fox titles, so they're not fully crossed over yet. Yeah. At least in people's minds, that deal hasn't fully crossed over. Right. So, so yeah, um, we'll see what happens in the future, but for now it's going to be a weird year, as you mentioned, a mixed year in the meantime. Right. Especially when we talked about last week, how HBO Max isn't doing the 
same day streaming anymore. So they need yeah. those new movies coming in from somewhere. Yeah, that's true. All right. Let's move on out of television news and into some thoughts. I say thoughts, plural. You actually only have one movie here, but I'm going to move a couple of things that are movies from your television section to the movie section. Okay. <laughs> so let's They're talk streaming. about, yeah, let's talk about the streaming movies before we talk about the also streaming, but theatrically released big release this week. Um, let's talk about the Disney plus option here. They rebooted home alone, sort of. Yeah, so this, so I meant to talk about this last week, but it was so bad, I forgot I actually watched it. <laughs> oh, no. Until I was like, oh, I opened up like Disney Plus after, like on Monday, I was like, oh, yeah, I did watch that because it came out like on the <laughs> Disney Plus date. Yeah. I was like, yeah, okay, I'll guess I'll turn this on and see what it's about. And ooh. Uh-huh. If you want to watch some cringeworthy <laughs> holiday movie, you found the right one. <laughs> I'll say. All right. Putting it lightly. It's bad. It's bad. It's super bad. Is there anything for anybody who is, say, from our generation or slightly older that has nostalgia for the Home Alone movies? Is it worth it to have some of sort of that feeling come back? No, no, because like the whole point of like Home Alone was, oh, you have kid, 10 year old Kevin McAllister home alone trying to stop a robbery of the wet bandits and like standing up to the adults who are, you know, semi-competent. Yeah. Here you have kid who's home alone, surrounded by technology. That is trying to prevent. Oh, I, technically, they're they're not robbers. They're just a family who think he stole a doll oh. and are trying to get the doll back. I see. Because the doll is like one of like the special, like it's a special um, mishap print, so it's worth more, and they're oh. trying to like save their house from it. Okay. And because it went missing. They think the kid has it because they stopped by during an open house and had a confrontation with the kid. So the kid must have taken it out of spite. When nope, didn't happen. That's not how that's not what happened. Mm. So they're trying to break into a house for literally no reason on the flimsiest reason of all. And it's the thing doesn't hold water. The movie is poor decision after poor decision after poor decision. Where like after the first act you're like okay hold on you want to do what because why now (laughs) and that's after the first act and that's a bad first act yeah so it's just a bad movie overall do not use your 90 minutes on this (laughs) it's a waste of time it's a waste of a remake it's unnecessary yeah i mean it's good if you want to watch what not to do (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but that's about it fair enough uh, oh well like, so, I, I wouldn't even recommend this being like a we're gonna watch it because it's so bad it's good no it's just it's bad it's bad yeah. bad 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 all around so not an instant holiday classic available now on no <laughs> so I guess the recommendation here is just just watch the original Home Alone which is already on Disney Plus right. so yeah just watch the 
yeah. original home alone. Yeah. In the meantime, you also watched the third in a series of films based on a television show that is no longer airing. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> so I mentioned on here that I watched Psych, the movie, when it premiered on Peacock, and then yeah. Psych 2, Lassie's Come Home. <laughs> well, here's the third in this series of those films. Yeah. Psych 3, this is Gus. <laughs> Playing on This Is Us, of course. Right. Uh, and Psych has been off the air for so yeah, seven years now on the USA. I gotta say it's about that, but yet it gets the streaming numbers because people like the way it's concept. It's a fun play on it, on the um, like detective genre and a comedy mm-hmm. spin, and it's more of that. It's hard to say recommend this if you haven't seen the first two. But that being said, if you only watch the movies, there is kind of a through storyline that you can see here that's very easy to understand, even if you hadn't seen the series, I feel like. Mm-hmm. But like if you watch the first episode, just to get an idea of what it is, like the pilot, and then go into the movies, there's that leeway of, okay, I understand what's going on here. But yeah, you really don't need to watch Psych to get Psych, uh, the Psych movies. And they're more of a guilty pleasure than anything. Right, right. So, that being said, the formula still works. That's good. I still had a fun time watching it. Okay. A lot less um, mystery and kind of detective work in this third one compared to the first two. Mm-hmm. But it is more like, I want to say, closing out the final chapter on these characters. Because yeah. you had yeah. the wedding, you had the baby in this episode or in this yeah. movie. So I was like, okay, those are the two kind of Mm -hmm. milestones that you hit for a series finale. (laughs) There's really no need to finish here because it's just, okay, everyone kind of got their happy ending three movies eventually. Yeah. This feels like a good um, finale nail in the coffin. We don't need any more psych anymore. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. It's had a good run. I think people who like it really, really like it. And so it's good that there's a lot of content for them to um, to absorb in the in the universe of psych. Well, cool. Let's move on, though, because there's one movie that we need to talk about. Technically, it was released last weekend, but we did not have time to see it in time. But we both apparently have watched this thing this week. Well, you talked about it last week. Yes. And you gushed about it so much that it made me. Give it a shot. Well, not really. I hadn't watched it prior to last week. I just said that it existed and that we should watch it. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you yeah. talked no. about watching it. I had not seen it until this past weekend. Okay. But yes, we both so watched we, the Andrew Garfield starring yes. vehicle directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yes. Tick, tick, boom. Yes. Baked so. off the play. Tick, yes. tick, boom. Based by off, Jonathan Larson. Yes. Based off Jonathan Larson's life. Yes. Who wrote Rent? Yes. 
Jonathan Larson, the creator of Rent. Uh, this is his debut musical that actually premiered before Rent premiered. It was before he was a household name, before he was famous. Um, and it is, like you said, semi-autobiographical. It is basically a fictionalized version of his attempt to get a musical made in the Broadway system. Um, in and, the 90s? Yes, in, um, in the late 80s, very early 90s, is referenced that it is 1990 in the, the timeline that the, um, the show is taking place. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so he played, as you mentioned, Andrew Garfield plays Jonathan Larson in this. Um, in classic movie musical tradition, it is taking a very stagey setup and trying to breathe a little bit more visual life into it by adding different settings, adding visual effects to enhance what's happening around the characters. And um, I think it works. I think this is a really well presented, well done version of this musical. Um, I think that the songs are good. I think the performances are good. Andrew Garfield proves that he's actually a decent singer which is, I think, a surprise to a lot of people. Um, I mean, it also proves that he's a pretty good actor because... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, uh, like Emma Stone last year with... Cru was that, no, that was this year with Cruella. Yeah. Yeah, Emma Stone came out with Cruella this year and first thing I said was, oh yeah, I forgot how good Emma Stone can act. She can act her butt off in this thing. Yeah. Same thing applies here to Andrew Garfield. I forgot yeah. how good of an actor he is. Yeah. And he, he acts his butt off in this thing. He's good with what he's given here. I think he's convincing as like a struggling um, artist who's maybe a little bit uh, up his own butt, <laughs> just a tiny bit, just a tiny <laughs> bit. But the uh, but the musical is convincing and makes you actually feel bad for him, even if he is, you know, stubbing girlfriends and making poor decisions. Um, I think overall, I think that, the, that it's a really enjoyable version of that story. Um, it was entertaining and no point did I feel like it was dragging um, like something that this that has this is this long and has um, so much content to get through could potentially feel like. Um, and if you don't, if you haven't seen the musical before and you only know uh, Jonathan Larson from Rent, it's a good backstory. It acts as a little bit of context for Rent. There's even some Easter eggs in there where people have seen Rent that will recognize immediately as like, oh, this is that guy. Like I see the link between those things. It's also um, rather timely, it's release as um, we'll get to in the deaths, but we'll get there in the deaths when we get mm -hmm. there. But, um, but yeah, it's, I think that if you're a casual or a hardcore fan of Broadway, of musical theater as a whole, I think this is a really, um, interesting and timely story that has to do with that industry and what's like to break in what it was like for one of the most important figures to break in to the industry. But honestly, if you're not, if you're just casually somebody who is interested in creating things, is an artist that's maybe struggled before, it's also a relatable story about a creative and what a creative deals with when they try to break in. Um, it's fun. See, it, that right there is why I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm not that into the musical theater scene. I like going to Broadway plays. <laughs> I like their existing and being <laughs> creative outlets. Um, but like, I couldn't like 
distinguish you directors from like the big names or yeah. songwriters from the big names. Um, so when the movie opens in that this is Jonathan Larson, the guy who wrote Rent, <laughs> like the movie opens by saying that it's like this is and this is his life. Yeah. I'm like okay, thank you for putting that into context. Now yes. I have a good mind frame of where and when yeah. this is, yeah, and why why we're talking about this movie. It's not oh here's it's not like it's kept a mystery, like most people like most movies would tend to do, is oh. If you don't recognize the name, you'll recognize it by the end of the movie. Right. No, we're going to tell you up straight up in the front. This is why we're telling you this story. And then you go on the journey. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's relatable regardless of your context for the industry, as you said. I think also, uh, also, you don't even have to like Rent to enjoy this. Um, I have the mind that Rent is actually kind of bad. Um, so, but hey, if you like it, that's fine. Um, and I think that it's there's something for everybody in this thing. I think it's an enjoyable time. You don't have to go to a movie theater to see this. You can watch it on Netflix, uh, which is good news. So yeah, I recommend this to anybody who is either into the arts or is curious about them and uh, want to watch a fun, entertaining musical. I think it's- I've uh, been really- so following watching this, articles keep popping up on my on my feed and um, Twitter, like, oh, like this is like tick tick boom. This is what this meant. This was that that meant. Like, kind of high praising it. And then the one that article that caught my mind was the Sunday brunch scene. Mm-hmm. And someone took the time to break down like, yes. everyone who appears yes. in that Sunday brunch scene is indeed a famous. Mm-hmm. Um, Broadway actor. Yeah, which makes sense when you also know that that scene is itself a parody of a scene from another musical. And so there are so many layers to that. Thankfully, mm-hmm. I was watching it with Christy, friend of the show, who is a huge Broadway and musical theater fanatic. And so she was helping me out. She was like, this is this. This is what they're doing here. That's so-and-so. That's so-and-so. That's so-and-so. And I was like, oh, okay. And so while it was happening, I had a little bit of a guide with me. <laughs> See, I didn't have that guide. But like, as they were doing like the solo shots, I was like, wait, yeah, this is supposed to be important because yeah. I don't recognize them, but they're highlighting them. So yeah. they must be like important characters. It's like, yeah. like important influences. You might recognize a few of them. If you've mm-hmm. seen some musicals recently or maybe a long time ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's fun. And like I said, it's on Netflix if you're curious at all. I recommend it. Um, don't be surprised if it shows up on some lists um, in, a, in about a couple weeks here. All right. Uh, I'm not surprised. I mean, I think Andrew <laughs> Garfield, current early nomination. Wow. Okay. And again, probably going up early against like Will Smith. Yeah. I would not go that far. I think he's good in this, but I do not know if it's quite Oscar worthy. Um, well, I'm saying like, you got to fill start filling the spots now and then taking people out. So I suppose so. Early nomination. Early. All right. Well, let's move on out of movies uh, and try to get through the rest of this show for you. Let's move into television. And of course we always start the television section with this is when I would point to the sports corner, but that's just a vacuum behind me. Instead, <laughs> it's a sports corner. We'll just have to imagine it. And we start the sports corner this week with the Major League Baseball 2022 Hall of Fame ballots. That's right. We're on to next year. 
Yes, we're already on to next year. We've given out the awards for 2021. That season is in the past. We are moving on to 2022. And of course, with the Hall of Fame. The final time candidates this year, so candidates that this is their last chance to get into the Hall of Fame, include Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, and Sammy Sosa. Of course, you probably know why these controversial figures have not made it into the Hall of Fame quite yet. Um, so will they this year? So uh, caveat yeah, voting-wise, this is their final time on the regular ballot. Now, mm-hmm. there is a special ballot for special inductees that does go around about every three to five years that says, like, oh, like, this person should have been in the Hall of Fame, but for some reason or another, the classes they were in were like too stacked or loaded and just never got in. But in order to do so, you have to have a lot of people vouch for you on your behalf to get into the Hall of Fame, which is a lot harder than just being on the ballot and just not getting in. So yeah, here's some four big names from a big era, controversial era, but big in baseball nonetheless. And this is where you get into that debate of what is the Hall of Fame? Is it the history of baseball or is it yeah. just the greatest players to play the game? Yeah. And we talked about that before on this podcast uh, about like yeah. kind of a debate. And I think where we kind of land, if I remember correctly, is it should just be, it should be everybody who affected the game. Like I think that the history matters because the context matters. And so if you ignore these big names just because of X or because of Y, you're ignoring a part of an era of baseball. Right. That's why I think that there should be a section that's specifically for this era of baseball. Yeah. And then like the warning sign before you go and like, this is. So, you know, yeah. just so you know, (laughs) this has happened in our baseball. We know what happened. Hindsight, we acknowledge it. It's still part of our history so that's why they're here right but in the meantime we'll see what happens with this year's uh, candidates but there are also first-time candidates that don't have as much baggage of history on their shoulders (laughs) we have carl crawford prince fielder ryan howard tin lincecum justin morneau jonathan papelbon jimmy rollins and mark texiera that's Jonathan Papelbon and Mark Teixeira. Whatever. <laughs> You're Teixeira. <Those> <laughs> uh, some good names there. Um, I can see Tim Lincecum, the pitcher from yeah. the Giants, probably being Hall of Fame, as well as Ryan Howard yeah. from the Phillies, probably getting in first time. Everyone else may hit and miss, maybe a couple of years. Um but this, this, these are like the big names, the superstars of their day. Yeah. So but Mark yeah. Teixeira should not be on this list. That's much as my personal opinion. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you're not voting, so you don't get to say. <laughs> Speaking of uh, things that should not get a say. Uh, <laughs> all right. So what's going on with the United States Football League? Is this what this sounds like? Yes, not to be confused with the XFL <laughs> under the guide of Dwayne The Rock, yes. now owner Johnson. This is the U- the USFL, not seen in the United States since the late 80s. Yeah. 
So not in our lifetime no. has the USFL existed <laughs> until now. Yeah. So as the name implies, this is a alternate football league that is not the NFL, but will also play football. Um, it's also not the XFL that people also, yes. wanted last year. No, it is launching again, as you mentioned, in the spring of 2022. So far, we have eight USFL teams and split into two divisions, North and South. They are the Michigan Panthers, the New Jersey Generals, the Philadelphia Stars, and the Pittsburgh Maulers in the North Division while the Birmingham Stallions, Houston Gamblers, New Orleans Breakers, and the Tampa Bay Bandits in the South Division. Okay. Yeah. Can't wait for the New Jersey Generals to take on the Houston Gamblers. So, yeah, not a whole lot of West Coast (laughs) representation here is the first thing I noticed. Um, Yes. um, They're all east of the Mississippi. Yeah. And for this inaugural year, they will all be playing out of the same stadium <laughs> until the next year when infrastructure can be built for them. Who is this for? I guess is the question that I need that immediately comes to mind. Is this for people who are frustrated with the NFL in some way? Um, because I feel like that person would also not be interested in this. So two people. <laughs> um, first one, as you said. People who think the NFL has gotten soft and needs to be hardcore again, back to the good old days when people got blood on their hands and arms and still played through it, playing through injuries. Second is for everyone who doesn't get drafted, but still wants to play football, but doesn't want to do like their local, like flag leagues or pickup games. Mm -hmm. They want to play football and be paid as a professional football athlete yeah but isn't able to make it the nfl yet yeah and canada is not an option for some reason or so i feel like we shouldn't have to say this uh because it seems obvious by the lack of it of this information this will not be televised there's not an easy way to watch this like i guess you'll probably have to stream it online if i had to guess um, uh, yeah, um, I, haven't, I didn't see anything about a specific TV deal when this no. uh, came out, um, but it is also during like the doldrums of spring and summer. Yeah, like, if there's not baseball on TV and it's like on a Saturday afternoon, this is where it'll pop up instead of like motocross racing or bass pro fishing. That's a big maybe. I don't know if it's if those if those stations if those networks want to air this. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Whenever something's in its infancy like this, you don't know exactly how it's going to pan out. So maybe don't put all your eggs in that basket. But I suppose if you're looking for football when there is no football, at least you know that there is a football out there somewhere for you to enjoy. Maybe. But only on the East Coast. But only, the thing is that yeah. even in all of these cities outside of Birmingham has a professional football team right. in them. Yes, you're right. It is, seems weird that they wouldn't use this as an opportunity to put teams in places where there are no teams, with the exception, as you mentioned, Birmingham. Um, it seems like a missed opportunity in a way. But Yeah, yeah we got all those, all that real estate out there and yeah. No football team to put into them. Give Montana a football team. I want like, like the I yeah. want like the, the West Virginia Miners. 
I want, West Virginia minors out yeah, there. Yeah, West Virginia. I want a Montana team. I want a Hawaii team. Just get wild with that. Maybe not right? Hawaii, but give me uh, <laughs> the South Dakota Black Rocks. Sure. All right. All right. Okay. See, see, like that's what this should do, but this is not that. I don't know. If you are listening at home and you want to tell us how wrong we are about the USFL, please write mediaboatpodcast at gmail.com. Give us feedback. But in the meantime, I will continue dismissing it. Let's move on. (laughs) In other sports stories, we have Brooks Kepka beating Bryson DeChambeau in the match five at the win course in Las Vegas. Uh, This was the match match play this past weekend. And Bryson in the nine hole uh, out of the 12 holes that they did play made zero birdies. Wow. So if you can't do that, <laughs> you're going <laughs> to lose. <laughs> yeah, it turns out, it turns out that means you did not play well enough. We also have a little story about some Olympic baggage from 2016. Yeah. Some, yeah. Uh, this one just came across my newsfeed randomly. I'm like, Oh, I did not hear about this. Yeah. And yet I am fascinated by it. So here's the deal. Carlos Arthur Newsman, the head of the Brazilian Olympic Committee for more than two decades, has been sentenced to 30 years and 11 months in jail for allegedly buying votes for Rio de Janeiro to host the 2016 Olympics. Rio's bid to host the 2016 Games beat Chicago, Tokyo, and Madrid. The investigation in Brazil began in 2017 after the French newspaper Le Monde found members of the IOC had been bribed three days before the 2009 session in Copenhagen, at which Rio was picked to host the Games. Woo! 30 years. Uh, Yeah. Sounds like a long time. Yeah. Granted, he's about uh, 80, 79 at this point. So this is a life sentence at this point. Yeah, but also it's like either 79 or 89, but he's going to appeal it. Yeah. It's going to take another two or three years <laughs> and then start the sentencing. So <sighs> if he lasts, if he lasts that long. Yeah. Yeah, this is rough. But I mean, hey, you don't try to cheat the system to get your city to host the games. It's worked, apparently, allegedly. Um, yeah, but when the real games did come out, we talked about it on this podcast about how the infrastructure kind of wasn't there. The hotel situation was pretty bad. Yeah. And like the whole like Olympic village day was still under construction as people were arriving they in the weeks leading yeah. up to the games. They were not adequately prepared. And of course, there's a separate conversation that we could be having about whether these cities do actually benefit from hosting the Olympics and the screwed up like carnival that that is. But we do not have time to get it, into it's that. It's Val. yes carnival um in this case but yeah that's a whole nother can of worms we don't have time to get into but yes there's conversation to be had about um about whether or not rio was prepared and whether cities that should should be prepared and how much infrastructure they need to have before the games start it's a disaster but hey this guy is getting what he deserves for trying to screw the process up depending on how serious are of a crime you think this really is, which I'm sure varies, but um, but I mean, cool. like you can really. try and curb it with the sentencing, but it will still happen. Case <laughs> and point, yeah. Um, next year's World Cup soccer in yeah. Qatar, yeah, still, still planning on taking place, still happening somehow, somehow. 
Anything else in sports that we need to wrap up before we move on? Uh, this is the last week of regular college football before the championship games get played in the next week, in which case the following week we get our bowl selections. Yes. Including the Cheez-It Bowl, mm. the Chili Bowl, mm. the Fi- Fighting Hunger for Liberty Bowl. It's Tostitos Fiesta Bowl. The PlayStation Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I hate that they don't have that anymore. <laughs> yeah, and we'll also get um, the four teams competing in the college playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say in two weeks this time. So college football is literally wrapping up as we speak right now. Tight little bow. So there you go. Your Saturdays are booked. If you're a college football fan in the meantime, let's Mm -hmm. move out. Also real quick. um, Last night's game of Gonzaga versus Duke. One of the best basketball games college basketball games i've seen in a long time wow. okay and i expect them to be paired up somewhere across each other so they meet in the final four oh. if not at the finals come march madness wow all right some predictions happening here some hot predicts and rookie banchero pablo banchero he's a he's a freshman right now okay but i can he's 19 but he's built like a tank shoots lights out and easily projected number one pick just based on the one game I saw him play. So watch that space. If you're looking for the next big star, Pablo Banchero, Banchero. It's a good name. What a name it is. It's a good name. Good name. That's an athlete. That's an athlete name right there. That's an athlete (laughs) name. That's a memorable (laughs) name. All right, let's move on out of sports and into television news proper. We've got a couple stories here, two very different stories. We start in the world of animation, specifically in animation writers, because the Animation Guild is gearing up for contract negotiations next week with animation writers looking to see a significant boost in pay as part of their new new deal with studios. Animation writers are, if you're curious, organized under IATSE and have been paid much less over the course of history than their live action counterparts, who, of course, belong to the Writers Guild of America, a separate guild. They have, been, they have begun campaigning on social media using the hashtag PayAnimationWriters and are hoping to ride a wave of labor activism to make significant gains in talks with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. Animation writers make a minimum of $2,000 per week, while WGA weekly minimums, minimums range from $4,000 to $5,000. The disparity dates back to the dawn of, Aber- of labor organizing in Hollywood when animation writing was largely performed by storyboard artists who were part of the Screen Cartoonist Guild. The WGA stuck to live action and was able to win better terms for its membership. The WGA did, does have a sort of history with animation, was able to win better terms for, its, uh, uh, for writers and The Simpsons in the late 90s, and now represents writers on Fox's adult-oriented animated shows. So Family Guy's writers, Bob's Burgers writers, American Dad's writers, that legacy falls under that existing deal, thanks to The Simpsons uh, and the labor movement that they made in the 90s. One of the problems, though, is that animation writers make less than 10% of the animation guild. So it's hard to threaten studios when the entire guild will strike just for that 10% of its populace. So it's going to be a rough road for them to, to, to trek up for this when they, there's just not enough people arguing for this point of view. 
Right. But as we've seen in the past five years, animation, specifically adult animation, but animation in general Mm -hmm. has definitely had a boom. Yes. Um, People of all ages um, are watching them. They're not specifically for kids anymore. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, Gravity Falls, DuckTales, mm -hmm. (laughs) woohoo. I mean, when you think of the best written comedies on television in the last five years, it would be ridiculous to ignore BoJack Horseman on Netflix, an animated show that wrote circles yeah. around a lot of its live action counterparts. And it would be silly that they these writers are getting paid less than writers on, say, you know, your Game of Thrones or your game or your young Sheldons of the world. Same with uh, Avatar The Last Airbender yeah. when it was on and uh, Legend of Korra. I think that the best example, the best uh, uh, tweet I saw about this over the weekend was Alex Hirsch of Gravity Falls fame was tweeting about it. And he surmised it by saying this, a person who writes an episode of Adventure Time writes a phrase that catches on, it becomes a meme, it becomes millions of dollars worth of merchandise, and it becomes a memorable thing that celebrities like Hugh Jackman are singing on their TikToks makes way less money than somebody who writes episode 356 of cop show isn't that wild like that is a disparity that is an unfair disparity somebody who has contributed to the culture is being shafted while somebody who writes a forgettable serial that's that's forgotten in just a week gets way more it's just yeah it it summarizes how broken that is right and that is something that animation does better than live action is that the script comes first yeah in animation you don't have keep a pen to paper and start drawing stuff well until you have a story of eh. yes and no there's some shows that are still storyboard based in the classic style that cartoons originally started in those shows include like a lot of the cartoon network shows are still storyboard based mm-hmm. i know uh, steven universe was adventure time was um more recently um uh, okay ko was really proud about its storyboarded origins you do have script first shows like bojack horseman a lot of the adult shows start with scripts i think the disney shows are a mix i think it depends on the production there that being said storyboards are a form of writing and that writing sometimes is just as strong as you do when you start with the script so regardless of its origin point Regardless, if you're doing the writing and it's as memorable as it is and it impacts the way it does, you should be compensated for it. So hopefully, yeah, fingers crossed that the animated yep. animation guild works for these writers and makes a change going but, forward. But like I, as we as I put in the article there, mm-hmm. 10% yeah. makes up writing. So it's hard. It's gonna be it's a hard, hard road, but maybe, maybe we can make some sort of movement there. All right. On that note, we move on to something completely different. Well, you are talking about a long and winding road. <laughs> good one. Good one. Nailed it. <laughs> All right. With that segue, we go into the world of the Beatles, who are on the minds of a lot of people this week because of Peter Jackson. As we all know, Peter Jackson has never exactly shied away from epics. The full Lord of the Rings trilogy comes to a gargantuan nine hours and the subsequent Hobbit sequels come together around eight. Now, his newest project, The Beatles Get Back, is a decidedly lighter docuseries 
tracking the iconic British band's recording sessions, but the length of it is still pretty <laughs> astonishing. While its three parts were originally announced to span six hours, the series will clock in actually at a close to eight. Peter Jackson confirmed the runtime, which will be available to watch in the coming days. It actually started on Thanksgiving Day with part one, part two premiered yesterday, and part three premiered today. Peter Jackson says uh, episode timings are as follows. Part one is 157 minutes, part two at 173, and part three with 138. And that, of course, all is exclusively on Disney+. Plus. So, so yeah, that first yeah. part one, two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah. It feels like it. Part I, two. Yeah. Close to three hours. <laughs> so, and then yeah. part three is just over two hours. I guess we might as well roll right into our thoughts about Get Back. Um, oh, I haven't watched it yet because it is right. so goddamn long. So I have I'll watched, talk about it next week. So I will talk about what I've seen so far. I watched about, I got about 90% done with part one. Um, so I'm almost finished with part one. I did not anticipate how long it was. So I put it down during a boring work of a day of work yesterday. Uh, I guess our client did not show up. Um, so I was right. Just, that's maybe, why I was like, okay, I'll put yeah. this news here because yeah. I was planning to watch it. I think it was just going to be like one docu film, close to maybe three hours. But no, no. now there's no. three parts. I'm like, I'll watch it eventually. But what I will say, well, maybe. no, I. What I will say is, I actually do recommend it. This thing is a monster in length and in content. If you have ever in your life cared about the Beatles, any of their songs any of their classic albums, their mythos, their legendary status among rock music, or the Beatles individually, or just the story of a band starting to wrap up their existence. If you're curious about any of those subjects, I recommend this Get get Back. So let me give a real brief history. I'll try to be brief because this is a can of worms in itself. If you don't know what this is, in short, during the uh, during 1969, the Beatles were kind of in a weird zone. They nice. had started bickering among each other. Yes, 69, nice. Um, they had started bickering amongst each other. They had started being a little on the rocks as a band. They weren't sure about the direction they were going to take. They had, of course, stopped touring a few albums prior, so they were not a touring band anymore. They had just huddled up in the studio. After the White Album, things got a little tense. All of the members kind of wanted to do their own thing and were not united as they used to be when they were recording classics like Revolver or Sgt. Peppers. So this is where we see the Beatles and they're trying to kind of make a little bit of a public comeback. And they start recording these sessions. They bring in somebody, a director, who's actually going to record not just their new music that they're recording, but also candid conversations that the band is happening, having, all to culminate in a TV special. They'll be like, the Beatles, they're here, they're again, they're back again. Uh, like you've never seen them before, an intimate concert with actual people again. Seemed like a good idea at first. So as history goes on, a film of this era titled Let It Be, also the name of the album that kind of spawned from these sessions, um, came, comes out and is kind of a flop. Nobody really cares by the time it's released in 1970. The band fizzles out by 1970 as well and publicly breaks up. 
And yeah, the film ends up getting kind of critically mixed reviews. Everybody's like, they look like they're not enjoying any their company the the company itself. It seems like they're a shell of their former selves. The music isn't as good, and so the legacy goes down as this film being kind of a document of the Beatles breaking up and nothing more. However, that was only a portion of the footage that was taken over these over this couple weeks. There's a lot more footage, and so what Peter Jackson has done with this is tried to put together the stuff that the Let It Be movie didn't use into a much bigger story that tells you the entire context of that moment. And the result is something that's a little bit more balanced, a little less biased in favor of the band being on the rocks. You do see some of that. Some of that footage in the Let It Be movie is in here as well. But Peter Jackson was able to clean up some previously muddled sounds that were not decipherable. So you get conversations that never were heard before. You get footage that was never seen before. And what it actually paints is a picture of a band that was actually had some really nice emotional highs here. There's moments that they do seem like they're enjoying themselves, that they are recording. There's moments of the Beatles magic starting to trickle back in alongside with the narrative that we're familiar with of tensions getting high. So it's a fascinating thing. It's a fascinating document of music history. It's a fascinating document of Beatles history specifically. If, of course, you're willing to bear with the extremely long runtime. But now that brings up the question. It's eight hours. (laughs) How much was actually recorded and how much of it is actually used? Well, in this get back, though. So what he's done is everything here is stuff that he's. That he had access to all of this is footage. It's the way he stitched it together, which is kind of playing with the narrative of it. And what I mean by that is there are some scenes that are matched with dialogue that is not happening during that scene. In a Ken Burns documentary style, sometimes he'll show you other footage during while dialogue is being said. So you'll notice it doesn't always match up. So when, say, Paul McCartney is saying something on the audio track, you'll see his face and he won't be matched up with what he's saying. That's uh, that's Peter Jackson going in and kind of tooling it a little bit, but using creative freedom be like, yeah, but you get the idea of this conversation was happening while they were kind of sat here. So it doesn't one-to-one match up all the time. But all that footage is from that era. All that footage is from that director who sat down and wanted to actually capture all of this moment. It's just, it's been retooled a little bit to make it easier to watch. In eight hours. Yeah. (laughs) again it's a long haul but what i'm saying is that there's enough fascinating nuggets here that if you're at all curious about this era if you're all curious about how these songs got written you get to see it happen in front of your eyes if you love Beatles songs from let it be and abbey road this the birth of these songs are happening in front of you and i can't think of a lot of people who wouldn't want to see some of that magic happen on screen so I think it's a fascinating little piece of history. I'm looking forward to finishing the rest of it over the course of days, I'm sure it will take. Um, And yeah, it's just a really cool, it's really cool that we get to see all of this in in the form that it's taken because otherwise it would have been just lost on the cutting room floor and we never would have known. Or it would have been dug up like at the 100 year anniversary. (laughs) Something like that, yeah. Some super future date that we'll never understand. Um, so yeah, I think it's if you have any interest in music and the process of music, 
um, or curious about the Beatles themselves, which are really interesting people, this is why. This is definitely why those things are interesting, and this is a perfect for 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 anyone who's curious. And that's on Disney yeah, Plus. Um, exclusively Disney Plus. Um, that just runtime is still like mountains to me. It's homework. <laughs> it's homework, it, but it doesn't yep. feel like it when you're watching it. It's 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 a good watch. Well, what doesn't feel like homework is what also premiered on Disney Plus. Yes. Uh, or maybe it might feel like homework if you're not that interested in this side of the MCU, and that yeah. is Hawkeye. Yes, tell me about uh, former social media magnate uh, uh, Jeremy Renner and his new his new series. Uh, Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye follows the events of Infinity War and Endgame, where he's stepping away from that superhero life he doesn't want to be known as hawkeye he just wants to be the family man he wants to at the end of age of ultron retire back to his family and kind of be with them and not be dragged in like he was in uh in endgame mm-hmm. unfortunately the events in endgame have caught up to him when he was the masked vigilante as ronin going around and taking on the different mobs mm-hmm. in, in the beginning of that film. Wasn't really explored that much in Endgame, but here the repercussions have come circled back around to yeah. um, bring out his haunted past as he tries to set the record straight, clear all clear the world of the Ronin identity and make it back in time for Christmas. <laughs> This is a very Christmassy um, series. It's six episodes. First two already out on Disney Plus. Um, but Jeremy Renner is actually not the main star of this thing. Instead, that is newcomer Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop, yes. who will, assumedly, as both news media outlets and the story progress and will be foretold will take up that Hawkeye mantle and become the new archer in the MCU. As she has in the comics. So there's precedent for this in the comics itself. Right. Uh, it's interesting because it is a Christmas special. Okay. And also that it's very non-superhero-ish. Much in the same way that um, Captain America or Falcon and the Witch Soldier, mm-hmm. even though they were superheroes themselves, the kind of threats that they deal with weren't metaphysical, superhero, lots of explosions everywhere. This is yeah. more heartfelt, more meaningful, more intimate. But, the other side of the comics. Yeah. But the question, of course, is it might start that way but will it end that way? Because I think one of the criticisms of these Marvel series on Disney Plus is that they might start being these interesting character pieces, but by the end of it, they get all Marvel-y. Do you think that's going to yes. happen again here? Possibly, but that's <laughs> kind of what Hawkeye and Jeremy yeah. Renner's character kind of is, is yeah. that yeah. they've like his character has been the, kind of the, I'm a guy with a bow and arrow. Yeah fighting robots and monsters. <laughs> None of this makes sense. So 
I guess on that and that uh, trail, does this, if you already do not care for Hawkeye, if he's not interesting to you at all, does this help that at all? Does this try to make you care about his situation? Um, makes him more relatable. Okay. Um, makes him seem more down to earth, more kind of like dad mode than superhero <laughs> mode. Sure. But he still has those kind of superhero comic book demons that he has to confront while also training and um, not say caring for, but mentoring newcomer Kate Bishop and Haley Steinfeld. Okay. So it's, it's a fun Rob. It's kind of a lighter tone than the Loki series that came right before it and kind of (laughs) WandaVision as well. Are you saying it's lower lower key than low key? Yes, it's a <laughs> lower stakes. <laughs> but who knows? Um, like from all the pre-production that I've seen kind of behind the scenes, I still don't really know who the main villain is in this, but okay. we'll see. Um, I have my thoughts and my guesses, but we'll see as this one wraps up, I think right before Christmas. Yeah. As it is only six episodes and first two are out, so four more episodes means four more weeks to go. So I guess we will see how we'll it ends. It. How it ends up. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's move on to the next thing you have um, here. Yeah. So running back to the sports corner. Yes. It's that time of year again. It is. Preseason is among us. And Hard Knocks is back. Hold on. One second. I have a problem with what you're saying. It is not preseason. It's mid-season. <laughs> the season started a while ago. How is Hard Knocks back? Well, that's the thing. <laughs> it shouldn't be. No. This show should not exist. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are. Hard Knocks. Uh, Colts. Are, uh, mid, starting mid-season with the Colts. Here. Who are just on the bubble of the, uh, just on the playoff bubble as mm-hmm. they're trying to fight their way and maybe win a division now that Derrick Henry is out and that newcomer and fantasy superstar Jonathan Taylor Thomas, <laughs> Jonathan Taylor <laughs> Thomas, <laughs> JTT, Thomas's version, uh, nicknames. His name is Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> But when yeah. you hear that, you kind of just want to like recognize it. Taylor Thomas, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. So, <laughs> JGT, yeah. fantasy running back, superstar stud, gonna win me a fantasy championship. JTT, <laughs> um, JT23, as his Twitter handle is, <laughs> or 28. Um, yeah, so it's midseason with the Colts. Colts are my um, AFC team. I love them, they're my team. So it's fun watching them midseason, but it's hard knocks. Yeah. Like the concept of hard knocks originally <laughs> was taking these players who either were drafted or undrafted and trying, and they're hard knocks of trying to make the team. As we've talked about over the past at least three years now, every time hard knocks comes on, is that it's no longer the case with that. We're no longer we're trying to focus on these rookies, but rather the team itself as it goes through spring training or not spring training, but 
um, this preseason to try and wolf down to the 52-man roster. Yeah. And I think Hard Knocks realized that, and that's why they're experimenting with the midseason form here. Yeah. Of taking a team that you like you announced this like in the uh, like the second or third week of the season, not knowing where they're gonna be in five weeks or six weeks or whatever. And like, okay, we're gonna take this team and follow them as far as they go, whether it's the end of the season or through the playoffs, we're just gonna keep running weekly episodes. Yeah. And that's what it feels like. This is their experimentation with that formula. We've already seen it kind of proven in a um, postseason wrap up that's been done on Amazon, um, where they followed the uh, Panthers and the Cardinals during their uh, some of their seasons. Mm-hmm. But this is actual like in season we wrap up every week. Now, normally, this kind of thing it, it wouldn't work because okay, like you see them play on Sunday and they're like, okay, this is what happened during the week leading up to Sunday. Except for this last week, mm. because Jonathan Taylor Thomas had a breakout game of 26 carries, 180 yards, and five rushing touchdowns. Okay. So, Cardox covered that, and yeah. it's really great to see. And I think that because he's kind of becoming the breakout superstar on the team, people want to watch more of him and kind yeah. of get more into it. And yeah, this is where you kind of see the players not only like behind the scenes, but also these uh, like second year players, third year players take that next step or not, depending on who you are into that kind of elite role. So I guess the question is, I still don't like it. Sure. I still hate it. I think it's a terrible idea. Yeah. Cause I was going to say is the question is, is this, is this a fluke though, that they just happen to have stumbled upon a narrative here by coming up with oh, yes. like, this is a, a ratings place. push. And so do you think that if this works, though, do they try this again next season with a different team midseason? Uh, because HBO Max needs content. Yes, they will definitely do it next season. Yeah, this feels um, like But a... I could also see them do it with the Patriots next season. Actually, yeah. maybe not, because Will Cheldrick won't let them do it. <laughs> um, I think that someone, like, kind of foresaw, like I did when I drafted JTT. Sorry, yeah. just, like, stroking my ego here about that. <laughs> that he was going to be the breakout running back. Yeah. And so they wanted to follow it. Now, had they said, oh, we're going to do the Tennessee Titans. And then you get to the exact same week and your star running back is out. Your star receiver is injured. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, who do I follow now? You're kind of, it's kind of hard to run yourself into a problem there because the Colts, are an up-and-coming team. They have a lot of prospects on offense and defense. A lot of it starts clicking. It can be very easy to not get that kind of chemistry in very different teams depending on the season. Example, point in case, midseason with the Lions. Not going to work. Yeah. (laughs) As they still struggle to get a win even though they should have had one yesterday or yeah, during Thursday against the bears, they should have had a win and yet they lost on a field goal. So you're going to keep with this. 
I mean, I'm enjoying it because I'm a fan of the Colts. Mm-hmm. If you're not a fan of the Colts or you're not interested in like the backstory, it's very easy to say, no, don't care. I'm just not going to watch it very pass on to it. Fair enough. But it exists. If you want that content, it is there for you. Mm-hmm. If you want extra football, you can't wait for Thursday night games or yeah. midweek news of Aaron Rodgers having Having and not having COVID toe. Jeez, yeah. <laughs> Let's not even go there. Let's move on and not talk about this depressing thing. I'll just really be brief here. I totally forgot that this happened. But yesterday, the finale of the Great British British Bake Off happened. Um, or if you're here in the States, the Great, Great British Baking Show, as it's called here. Um, and I'll just say briefly, that thing's a good time. If you aren't watching Great British Bake Off every year, you're missing out. If you like reality shows about food, it's the best, I think, uh, available. Um, it's just really charming. It's relaxing. Everybody's fun. And it's just it's just a nice tr- end of the week treat. Um, but it's over. So <laughs> yes, I know. No pun intended. Uh, but yes, this season is wrapped up with a bit of a surprising finish. I think a lot of people were a little shocked by the couple eliminations that led to the finals here. But that being said, it was a good time. And it's such a calm, charming version of the reality show that isn't affected by all that American cynicism. Um, So yeah, it's a good watch. And uh, I had a good time with it this season. That's good, yeah. Um, Holiday baking shows continue as we get through Thanksgiving and into the Christmas and gingerbreads Mm. and cookies and all those pleasant decorating um, and competitions. Yes. But in the meantime, so much delicious food. So much delicious food. But because I'm sure there's more delicious food to come for us, let's try to get through the rest of this show. Let's talk about cancellations and renewals next. First up, Netflix has canceled zero after just one season. They've renewed Arcane, that's that League of Legends show, for a second season. Uh, this may probably give me to actually watch it now. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, Peacock has renewed We Are Lady Parts for a second season. And then we have to talk about some deaths. Oh boy, big week in deaths this week. We start with Will Ryan, age 72, an American voice actor, was in The Land Before Time, The Little Mermaid, and An American Tale, among other films of that era. Next up, Joey Morgan, age 28, extremely young. Actor was in Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse and Flower. Um, Jeez, yikes, 28. Uh, We also have Lou Cattell, age 91. An actor was in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Honey, and I Shrunk the Kids, among others. And then the big one this week that happened yesterday uh, in the afternoon. Sent shockwaves through the Broadway community and fans of musical theater in general. Stephen Sondheim, the legend age 91, passed away. Composer and lyricist for shows such as West Side Story, Company, Sweeney Todd, Into the Woods, Sunday in the Park with George. So, so many, so many, so many important pieces of musical theater will go down in history as arguably the most important figure in musical theater as a whole. Uh, Very influential, including some recent um, uh, big stars of musical theater. The aforementioned Jonathan Larson. Um, he was a mentor to him uh, before his untimely death around the time of Rent's release. 
Also, Lin-Manuel Miranda, a close friend and, um, and had a little bit of a mentorship. So a lot of the current era of musical theater, deeply, deeply indebted to Sondheim's works. Just one of the most important figures in musical theater's history and Broadway's history. Uh, some of his achievements include nine Tonys, eight Grammys, an Academy Award, a Pulitzer Prize, a Laurence Olivier Lifetime Achievement Award, and a 2015 Presidential Medal of Freedom, uh, just to name a handful of things, as well as being in the heart of every fan of musical theater. It's a sad yeah. one. Uh, he will go down in history as being an important, uh, having a very important legacy. Uh, but I mean, 91 understandable but what a life yeah, um, don't be surprised if the upcoming west side uh, story film has a thank is you dedicated yeah has either a thank you or dedicated to stephen sondheim absolutely um i also expect if it's not happening already or right now that broadway will dim its lights and off broadway dim its lights um yes. we did mention it but stephen sondheim has I think two theaters in New York and one in London named after him. Yeah. So yeah, big, yeah. big yeah. musical theater yeah. influence. Absolutely. Cornerstone. Yeah. Um, like if, if you have one pillar of him, yeah. the other one's like Andrew Lloyd Webber on the other yes. side. Fun fact about that. They were born on the exact same day. So Andrew Lloyd Webber also 91. Um, so Andrew Lloyd Webber watch happening right now. Um, but yeah, um, could not be more, uh, more, more uh, important and it will be a sad day, uh, for Broadway fans, but we need to move on because we can't talk about that forever. Uh, do you want I me mean, to just keep, we could, if we want to bring, if we bring Christian, we could talk about right, it. Yeah, no, Christy was, <laughs> she's just a wreck, uh, after yesterday. So it's, she would have plenty to say, I'm sure. Um, so do you want me just to continue rolling through this? Yeah, uh, just keep rolling up? through it. Might as well. Let's switch off to the B-side of this uh, this podcast, which, of course, starts with music. And, hey, uh, there are no releases, no new releases this week. So let's talk about some billboards. Uh, and Well, it's no new releases because it is uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah. Which no is weird. But, yeah. but what is happening is billboard charts. In your Hot 100, your singles chart, we have a new record and a new milestone set by one of our favorite milestone setters taylor swift at number one inexplicably is all too well off of red taylor's version but specifically the 10 minute version from the vault um has set number one records it is now the longest single to ever hit number one in the billboard hot 100 at uh, now we know that this may, is mainly due to the change in how stream, especially streaming, gets counted because yes. and albums because it's per minute play. Right. Does that play into the factor that if you're gonna listen to a 10-minute version, you're gonna listen to all 10 minutes of it? It might, because another interesting tidbit here is this was not released as a single. It never was and it still is not. It just happens to be just the strength of Taylor's fans moved it to number one this week. That's a big deal especially considering when it's competitor at uh, number two this week, Easy On Me by Adele, still doing record numbers. So there you go. Um, rounding out your top five, though. Number three, Stay by The Kid Leroy and Justin Bieber, still around. Number four, Industry Baby by Lil Nas and X and Jack Harlow, also still around. And entering your top five, rounding it out this week, Smoke It Out the Window by Silk Sonic. 
Moving into your Billboard 200, your albums chart. As I mentioned, Red Taylor's version tops your chart here with a big week of both physical and streaming, um, all leading to a number one. Coming in number two, Silk Sonics, an evening with Silk Sonic. Number three, Formula of Love, O plus T equals less than three by twice. That's all caps. Number four, Still Over It by Summer Walker, moving down from its number one spot last week and rounding out your top five, Certified Lover Boy by the Certified Lover Boy himself, Drake. So big shout out and thank you to Taylor, <laughs> Silk Sonic, and Twice yeah. uh, for knocking off that double album from the Billboard 200. Thank God. Thank God. Let's move into, like I said, no new releases. So we're going to move straight into news this week. And of course, the biggest music news was, it's that time of year again, the Grammy nominations are here. And man, this was a big deal. What a weird list of nominated content. Yeah, and it gets weirder. The weirdest part will be at the end of the story, so bear with me. The Grammy Awards have launched a different procedure for selecting their nominees this year, as we have previously reported, going with a popular vote in eliminating the controversial secret committees that had curated the finalists of recent decades. And although most of the top nominees were expected when the contenders were announced Tuesday, the top one definitely was not. John Baptiste leads the nominees with 11 nods, mostly for his We Are album, but also for his film score for Pixar's Soul. Meanwhile, Justin Bieber, Doja Cat, and Her follow with eight nominations each, and Billie Eilish and Olivia Rodrigo are close behind with seven. Also getting a big look was Lil Nas X with five nods, becoming the first artist from the hip-hop capital of Atlanta to be nominated in the big categories since Outkast in the 2000s. Grammy favorite Brandi Carlisle got five, two, and Bruno Mars and Anderson Pax Silk Sonic got four. Even though most of those artists had their new albums come out after the eligibility cutoff. And so that means they'll probably be back with equally high profile next year. Is this because their singles were released prior? Yes. This was be the singles releases being counted for Grammy nominations, not the albums. And the album will be counted next year. Brandy Carlisle and Bruno Mars both had albums last week, so they are not qualified yet. Speaking of those big four categories... The number of nominees in each category has been expanded in an Oscar-like move from five to eight to 10, depending on the category. Harvey Mason Jr., the CEO of the Recording Academy, who oversees the Grammys, told Variety, quote, we made the decision to expand the 10 fairly recently. Some, uh, just an editor's note, some allege that 24 hours prior to the nominees being read on the live stream, this change was made. Wild, huh? Um, We looked at the voting, which was up 17% this year, and the amount of submissions, almost 22,000, that's a crazy high number, and we said, this is an incredible opportunity for us to honor more artists and shine a light on more great music. So the aforementioned source that I mentioned um, said, allegedly, Taylor Swift's Evermore and Kanye West's Donda, both up for album of the year this year, were We're on that cusp. Yeah, we're on that cusp, and we're added in that 24 hours before span of time and we're not originally in the final running wow and yet especially with donda mm-hmm. people are controversial about it because now marilyn manson yes and what was the other one 
the baby uh yeah so they're both on that record um yeah also notable uh louis ck nominated yeah. in the grammys this year uh for no good reason um noticeably absent is morgan wallen the aforementioned dangerous double album um um artist not seen here but but the song Fancy Like is nominated. Yes. Yeah, the yeah, song. The song is somewhere on here. Just a weird, weird year. Um, I'm going to say just real quick before we move on. My prediction, I think you see a Billie Eilish style domination of the big four by Olivia Rodrigo this year. I think Sour takes it all. I think Driver's License is your record of the year and your song of the year. That's where I'm going as well. Don't be yeah. surprised if that's how my end of the year list kind of ends up wow okay well my list i just did i finally think i finalized my top 10 this year not even i couldn't even narrow it down to the top five and i don't think olivia made it i think she's on the cusp and she didn't quite make the cutoff but but she was close she was close for sure um so yeah looking forward to a weird ass grammys year uh but we'll have to wait until february for that uh, did you actually watch the live stream of the nomination? I did. I watched every single second of that mess. <laughs> okay. Did you see how um, one of the nominations for, I think it was music video, cut or left off Olivia as yeah. the, like, the final nomination? Yeah, that was funny. That's hilarious. That thing is weird yeah. and awkward. That whole Yeah, they like, tossed it around and like, did, I assume live, but it looked pre-recorded. <laughs> It was live, I guess, because it seemed sloppy like it was live. So, yeah. Anyway, also, man, what a waste of paper with all those different envelopes. <laughs> I was thinking that the whole time. So just do it digitally, guys. You don't have to literally throw away an envelope every and eh, whatever. Anyways. Yeah. Well, that's, I feel like that's why they bounced it around because you yeah. could do it digitally that way. Yeah. There's it's too like many. the big awards. Here's your envelope. There's and too many categories toss. to do this. Envelope and toss. Yeah. I was yep. just thinking the whole time. I was like, there's too many Grammy categories to do this for each one of them. <laughs> All uh, right. Yeah. Total of 75. Yeah. Let's move on to our other big mover and shaker who will be a big Grammy favorite in next year's contest. Who will be performing at the upcoming Grammys. Yes. No, no, All but guaranteed at this point. Oh, yeah, for sure. None other than um, Spotify favorite Adele. And I say Spotify favorite because she's actually made some waves over at Spotify this week. As streaming and other digital formats have made the music industry more song-based after decades of being centered around albums, there's been much talk about the death of the album, in quotes, and the consequent loss of complete artistic statement that comes with it. Well, Adele has decided to tackle that issue head on, apply directly to the forehead. By asking Spotify to <laughs> remove the shuffle button from album pages in order to preserve the artist's intention, saying the songs are placed in a certain order to tell a story, and the streaming services have obliged, well, at least partially. A Spotify rep said Sunday, quote, as Adele mentioned, we are excited to share that we have begun rolling out a new premium feature, that's key, that has all been has long been requested by both users and artists to make play the default button on all albums. For those users still wishing to shuffle an album, they can go to the now playing view and select the shuffle toggle. As always, we will continue to iterate our products and features to create the best experiences for both artists and their fans. End quote. So uh, I feel like this was made just for me as well. Yeah. So a <laughs> couple things. I too hate that problem. I also do. So a couple things about this. Yes, there's the personal angle, which is 
I'm also pretty album built. I would prefer to listen to an album from start to finish as intended. I'm, I do make playlists, but if I make the playlist, I'm making it for a reason. If I wanted to play the album, I'm listening to that for a reason. I compartmentalize both of those concepts. Mm-hmm. But then on a grander, on a grander scale, this isn't exactly as big of a deal, I think, that Adele wanted it to be. First of all, the big key here is premium users. Because one of the things Spotify does for free users now is keep you to shuffle. You cannot listen to something front to back on the free version of Spotify. There is no option to do so. Well, you have a one in like 1.5 million chance that it yeah. does do it front to back. <laughs> yeah, but chances are you're not going to get that. Um, so, so yeah. So if you're a free user, this is not at all an option. Second of all, yes, that's Spotify did sur- resurface that like shuffle that shuffle button. So that way it's way harder to play it uh, the way that you want it to. And it's one of the reasons why I bailed out of Spotify. Um, so, yeah, um, I'm glad that Adele is using her power here to make this change, but it shouldn't take Adele to do this. And it sucks that the smaller artists suffer too from from these kind of decisions and don't get their uh, voices heard when it comes to issues like this. It just goes to show you that the streaming companies are way too powerful in this way of that they control so much of how the people listen to music that it just seems unfair to the artists. I mean, as we say, it's a business and you're not going to see something as a problem until someone major up high yeah. comes to you and says it's a problem. Yeah, it's sad. It kind but, of raises that priority level. Yeah. But hey, I guess thanks Adele, but like with an asterisk is I guess how I end up land, landing on it. It's like, it's something. It's something.jpg is what I was saying. Mm-hmm. All right. But yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, uh, we both like listening to albums and listen to yeah. albums front to back. Yeah. Because it's the story you're trying to tell. You specifically put these songs in an order to yes. tell the story of an album. You don't jump around in a movie from, from like middle to middle right. to end and front to back. You don't yeah. skip around in pages yeah. in a book unless you're reading a, <laughs> a choose your own adventure style. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So why should music be any different? Exactly. Speaking of which, you listened to a new album this, this week. Do you think- Yes, I had a special evening with Anderson Pack <laughs> and Bruno Mars. I'm sure you did. So, what did you say? Is this a shuffle um, or this is a front to back kind of album? <laughs> I listen to this front to back, but honestly, you could probably listen to this on shuffle. <laughs> it's an evening with Silk Sonic by Silk none Sonic. other than Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack, aka Silk Sonic. Yeah. So, this album has all the funky beats you're looking for. <laughs> it's got... It, it is funky, fresh 70s, <laughs> but also that, like, cool baby bumping music as well. <laughs> it's a fun album. Um, and I was kind of upset that I listened to this while I was, like, out walking because... <laughs> I wanted to either like stop and dance and groove to it or be like, oh yeah, move, move that beat with me. <laughs> it's a surprisingly good album. 
We do not have time to open the can of worms that is baby bumping music, but we do <laughs> have time. To feel like. So, uh, so how do you feel? How do you feel about Silk Sonic overall as a product? Like a, a product? Wow, that's a Freudian slip. A project? Um, do you think that it's a worthwhile exploration of '70s retro feel, or do you think, okay, we get it, guys? Like we get it. This has been done. I mean, Bruno Mars. So Bruno Mars has been wanting to basically live in this kind oh, yeah. of music for the past like three albums that he's it's, put it's out. It's bread and butter at this point. Yeah, but it's not really the music of today though, so being, it's kind of like the him doing it by himself is kind of like the thorn sticking out amongst the movie, the, the different um, music that's, oh, like this is very Bruno Mars-esque, mm-hmm. and yet I don't think it fits necessarily with everything else that's currently going on in the music genre of pop music. Yeah. But that's purposeful in this case because it's supposed to be a throwback. Yeah. But I think adding Anderson Pack in there with his very silky smooth tones and thus the Silk Sonic yeah. name was born <laughs> adds a lot to it. It doesn't detract from it. It's very, very pleasant to listen to it's also one of those very house music's feel to listen to you can put it on at a party and people are like oh yeah uh, I, I can bump to this this is good music <laughs> and then it gets to like i said the baby bumping music like oh yeah let's let's slow dance here let's grind to this music it's surprisingly a good album I'm not sure if I'm going to put it on my top five, but it surprised me how much I enjoyed it. And it's fast, too. It's only like 30 minutes. Okay. Not bad. It's really, it runs really, really fast for it being uh, pretty short. There's only like eight or 10 songs on it in total. Mm -hmm. But you just get in a grind with those funky beats and you just don't want to let go. Oh, That's the okay. one positive of this thing is that those beats are super, super funky. And like funky in the good, the good way yeah. of funky that you're like, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Keep it going. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> dancing and grooving. Okay. So, but that's also like what Bruno Mars is like yeah. bread and butter is too. So, so yeah. So the experiment no surprise works. there. So yeah, you're saying the experiment Not works. surprised that yeah. it's working so well. Yeah, but surprising how much I enjoyed it working well for me. All right. Well, sounds sounds positive. So cool. Silk Sonic worth a listen. In the meantime, no other real albums came out last week. It was kind of a kind of the doldrums. Um, we're kind of just coasting to the end of the year at this point. So get ready for nonstop Christmas music because that's what we're getting. Oh, but that oh, so that was your one release this week though. Yeah, the tenth anniversary of Michael Bublé's Christmas album. If yes. the deluxe version is now out, yeah, if you want our double deluxe re-release, whatever you want to call it, yeah, it's back along with Mariah Carey's "All I Want for Christmas" and the now five different iterations of "All I Want for Christmas." As, as they say, Mariah Carey builds another house with that song. Oh yeah, tis the, as they say, "Tis the season." Um, so season. have fun with that. But in the meantime. It's the season for us to turn a new leaf, which is to go to the video games section of the show. We start with new releases, just some little tiny releases to wrap up the year for you. 
We have Evil Genius 2, colon, World Domination for PS4, PS5, Xbox One, and Xbox Series X. Dairoku, colon, Agents of Sakuratani for the Switch. Solar Ash for the PS4, PS5, and PC. Big Brain Academy, colon, Brain versus Brain for the Switch. Chorus, aka Chorves, for PS4, PS5, <laughs> Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and PC. If you have it and it's not a Switch, you can play it. Danganronpa S to colon Ultimate Summer Camp, exclusive to Switch, and Disney Magical World 2 colon Enchanted Edition, also a Switch exclusive. So there you go, something for everybody this week. Uh, I may try and pick up that Disney Magical World 2 okay. um, at some point after I play um, Metroid Dread. Okay. Ooh, cool. Yeah, Metroid in. Very excited for you to play yeah, that. Um, I have it with me. I'll be playing it next week. I'll have my thoughts on it next week because i've been playing something else which we'll get to in thoughts yes we will get to those in thoughts moving on to news though just a couple of uh, quickies for you before we wrap it up first story takes us to playstation and guess what this recent trend of studios being um, called out for their sexual harassment in the workplace just continues rolling along as now playstation has been under fire for similar allegations a former sony interactive entertainment or SIE, employee is suing the company for alleged gender discrimination, harassment, and wrongful termination. As reported by Axios, former PlayStation IT security analyst Emma Majo filed the lawsuit against SIE in California on November 22nd. It claims that, quote, Sony tolerates and cultivates a work environment that discriminates against female employees who are subjected to continuing unlawful disparate treatment in pay and work opportunities, end quote. Majo alleges that Sony's discriminatory discriminatory employment policies, practices, and procedures are not unique or limited to any location. Rather, they apply uniformly and systematically to employees throughout Sony, occurring as a pattern and practice throughout all locations. If this sounds familiar, it's because it is very close to the allegations that are currently under uh, under um, a review at Activision Blizzard that has uh, which created the- We talked about last week. Yes, and how they're that. still dealing with, well, it started at the beginning of the year, but they're still mm-hmm. dealing with those repercussions. Yes. Here we are in November. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, this is further proof, and I included the story this week to just kind of put a fine point at the end of this, which is this is not just an Activision problem. This is a industry problem that is just going to keep point, like hopefully keep snowballing until something gets done about it. It's not just as a matter of whether Bobby Kotick stays or goes. It's a matter of if all of these executives at the top of these companies realizes that this is a problem and make moves to make sure that it doesn't happen again. So... Yeah, I mean, leadership starts at the top, as yeah. we've said. Yes. And if you either allow it to continue or allow it to fester, that's coming from the top. That's saying, we don't see a problem here. And yeah. thus, the people below you don't see it as a problem. And thus, the cycle continues. And can the circle be unbroken? <laughs> yeah, the goal is to... not, not can it be, it needs yeah. to be. Yeah. The goal is to make sure that this cycle stops and that you don't see this continue um, and get swept under the rug as it has been. So our, yeah, our, our hearts go out to the people affected by this, to I'm sure the countless other people have not been able to say their story, tell their story quite yet. And I hope, yeah, I hope changes get made. Yeah. 
And now on to the story that affects mainly you. <laughs> yeah, basically. But, <laughs> on a lighter note, I guess. Um, the endless cavalcade of store- studios being bought by bigger studios continues as this week, Epic Games has acquired Harmonics, the music game developers that have brought you hits such as the Rock Band and Dance Central games, and most recently, uh, 2020's Fuser. The Boston, Massachusetts-based studio, which was founded back in 1995 and was once owned by Viacom under their MTV Games label, said on Tuesday that it plans to, quote, work with Epic to create musical journeys and gameplay for Fortnite. Hi. It also said, though, don't worry, it will continue to support existing titles, including Rock Band 4 and Fuser, and that all its games will remain available on Steam and consoles. So if you're a Harmonix fan, I recommend going to their blog post on the Harmonix blog, which, side note, is very well kept and is a great developer blog of whatever they're doing and working on at the moment. Um, They made sure to address any common questions that they've gotten about this purchase. One of them is, no, this does not mean new rock band uh, plastic instruments are being manufactured. This has kind of been an up and down battle for them ever since the launch of 4. This will not solve that problem, it seems like. Uh, Epic does not seem like they're going to pony up some the millions of dollars required to make new instruments. That being said, they do say they continue to they will continue to support Rock Band 4 with weekly DLC, just as they've had. The season uh, pass system that they've introduced since last year is still going to be in place. Nothing will change there. And Fuser uh, and its similar delivering, uh, similar stru- structure of delivering new tracks every so often will also continue. As for the future of those franchises, who knows? But at least these titles that exist right now will be supported in the same way that they've been supported at the moment going forward with this sale. So uh, I'm torn here. Uh, Part of me wants to trust Harmonix. They're a good company and they've been through some shit. But even when it's been harsh on them and when they've had new corporate overlords, they've tried to be good to their fans and have never really kind of pulled the rug out from under them. So I want to believe that they're right. But the other part of me is like disappointed that then now they have to do Fortnite stuff, which I was like, I just wish that they didn't have to get involved in. You know, when Fortnite stops making them a billion dollars every month, I'm sure they'll stop supporting it. Yeah, but that's a big if. So. <laughs> big if, yeah. maybe never when, I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, uh, hopefully this means that they'll make Rock Band V. <laughs> no, I, I am fairly confident in saying there will not be a Rock Band 5 ever. I think if they do do another Rock Band game, it'll be a lot simpler in uh, development. I do not think it is a plastic instrument game, for instance. I think that 4 is going to be the last of its kind. Ooh. Yeah. Question. Or thought. <laughs> because they're being absorbed into Epic, which is billion dollar and have the infrastructure for it, could we see Harmonix VR, Rock Band VR? So it's funny that you say that. Harmonix does already have uh, titles in the VR space. There is a VR like mini game thing, I think that's Rock Band adjacent. Um, mm-hmm. But they have not made a VR specific game in the Rock Band series. But they've definitely played yes, around but, with VR before. But if Epic wants to, if Epic Studios, Epic Games, wants to further 
have that go further. I'm sure they could. And that could be very, not only niche, but a very easy gateway for people to get VR into Epic Games. I think you're right, but I think the, um, or into Rock Band, um, into harmonics and stuff. But I think, I think the problem there is that so much about the Rock Band experience is the tactile feel of a real instrument or a real plastic instrument in your hands. I think trying to do something like that in VR, in a VR environment, it's not close enough to the experience that I think it's going to not be enough. Okay. That's my personal thought. I think that the only way those games work is with the peripherals, but the peripherals are expensive and they clutter up store shelves. And in the digital era, now more than ever, those stores do not have the shelf space for this shit. So I don't think it's going to happen. I think that is wishful thinking. I think that maybe if they do something in VR, it's something new and unrelated. And I think that if they do something with Rock Band, I think it's a Rock Band Blitz style controller based thing or a mobile based uh, thing because mobile, there's no yeah. way there because they their experience with the Rock Band 4 uh, has taught them that it's done, that they just cannot afford to do it anymore. So... I forgot. I keep forgetting Rock Band Blitz was a thing on the DS. Rock Band Blitz was a thing. Well, no, that is something separate. That's Rock Band on tour, uh, uh, which is separate. Uh, Rock Band Blitz was an Xbox Live PSN game that was all controller-based. Okay. You can no longer play it on current-gen co- hardware. It's one thing that's not backwards compatible, so sad. Let's move on um, into thoughts here. We play a lot of games. I'm just going to do mine really quickly because there's not a whole lot to say about them. Uh, first up, Christy got a, ha- a copy of Pokemon Shining Pearl this week. Both Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, the remakes of Diamond and Pearl from the DS era, mm-hmm. came out this past weekend. She's barely uh, scratched the surface, but already it seems like they're pretty faithful ports of those original DS games. So if you're expecting anything radically different about them, you might be a little disappointed here. I think they look pretty. I think they've made some slight changes in places that make sense. Uh, There's no HMs, so you don't have to have um, to load up uh, hidden machines on your Pokemon like you used to. It takes the more modern sword and shield approach to that. But on the flip side, it reverses some of the modernization. Modernizing Sun and Moon started doing that. Right. But at the same time, though, in order to stay faithful to those original games, they've reversed some changes that they've made since Sun and Moon onwards. For example, technical machines since X and Y have not been um, have been reusable. Diamond Pearl, uh, the remakes go back to the classic where if you use a TM, it disappears. Yeah. Um, One and done. Yeah. So it's kind of disappointing in that way. Uh, But it makes for a, a, a experience that is aligned to the original experience, which most Pokemon fans really like. So uh, I'm excited for her to play more of it and see what else um, has in store for her. Next up, um, Halo Infinite's multiplayer dropped a surprise drop after we recorded last week. Um, so if you want to download and play some Halo multiplayer, guess what? You can do so if you have Steam, Xbox uh, Game Pass or PC Game Pass. All three of those give you access to a free download. Season one of the Infinite uh, Season Pass has begun, so you can pony up some money and get some free stuff that way if you want to customize your Master Chief a little bit more than you can in the base package. 
I jumped into this um, and it's fun. It's Halo. It made me feel like I was playing Halo 3 again in 2007 and just like kicking ass online. Um, if you've been waiting for Halo to come back, it's here. So. Um, yeah, uh, one thing about that Halo um, uh, customization is that someone did the math and you need $1,100 to unlock everything. Yeah. You can't do it through custom uh, play or through natural gameplay. I mean, yeah, that's the downside of this being a free to play game. It is unfortunately full. It's full. Yes, I agree. <laughs> So, yeah, um, you know, free to play, you know, it's a double edged sword. You do get to play it for free. But yeah, you're right. The microtransactions start piling up. And before you know it, you've paid more into it than you imagined you would. So is the multiplayer different from the single player campaign then? Correct. So single player is still scheduled to come out next month. Uh, mm -hmm. Also free for Game Pass users, but not free on Steam and for everyone else. You will have to uh, pay up the $60 to play the campaign for Halo when that comes out. But as for now, the multiplayer is a nice little appetizer. And I think for a lot of people, it's the thing about this game. And so to get this as a nice surprise gift, I think uh, is going to make a lot of people's holidays. So um, yeah, it's fun. I'd say if you had any, if you have a history with the Halo franchise at all, uh, and you want to get some nostalgic fun out of it, it's that. And also, I think it's a good intro into the Halo's type of multiplayer. And in an era where Call of Duty has been kind of stagnant, um, it's exciting to have something like this on console again. Speaking of Call of Duty. Yeah, I'll just be super brief about this. I logged into my PS5 this past uh, week and found out that apparently they were having a little free days uh, for Call of Duty Vanguard, the new Call of Duty game. So I decided to give it an old download and give it a spin. Just like Halo, this is just the multiplayer. And it was only for a few days on PSN. But um, I jumped into a few rounds and it's still Call of Duty. Um, my one note I will say is that it's it's running on the Modern Warfare engine and not last year's Cold War engine. So if you liked the feel of Modern Warfare more than Cold War, it returns to more of that feel. That being said, Vanguard is a World War II Call of Duty. So if you're expecting the more modern equipment and guns, that ain't here. So it's no UAV, it's recon, it's not, you know, like the big uh, missiles. It's like there's dogs, you know, you can summon a dog to protect you, that kind of thing. Hmm. So lower your lower your modern expectations a little bit <laughs> but it's but it's call of duty it's fine it's the multiplayer and you know what it is at this point but i think overall as a package i don't know if vanguard's interesting enough to get anybody super excited it's important i guess it's might as well note here that it's apparently already underperforming it's apparently the worst selling call of duty at this point since call of duty ghosts at the beginning of the xbox one generation so goes to show you it I mean, is a off year for Call of Duty. Still make a, still make a new one next year. Still make a new one next year. So we'll see about that. Let's move on. So this into... is a skip year then for yeah. Call of Duty. Seems like a lot of people are treating it as a skip year for sure. Right. But you played some games. 
Uh, real quick on the mobile front, yeah. Final Fantasy VII, colon, The First Soldier. Uh, I had no idea what this was. I saw an ad for it that uh, during, I think it was Square Enix's showcase that they are creating this for mobile. Yeah. That, hey, like it'll, it's not going to have anything to do with Final Fantasy, but it'll be like a prequel to Final Fantasy VII. So I pre-ordered it, or it hit it for my pre-register. It downloaded. It was like, hey, it's very free to play. Cool. Going in completely blind, no idea what this is, just said it has something to do with Final Fantasy VII. Mm-hmm. And then I start playing it. Uh-huh. It's Battle Royale. Oh, no. Final Fantasy VII Edition. So it has the map of Midgar in Sector 6 and 7. Um, where you play through in the more in the recent update, uh, the Final Fantasy VII remake area. So a lot of the map is of those maps, but you're running around shooting other players, trying to survive and be the first soldier or <laughs> the last standing soldier. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, it's weird in its offering because it's all essentially in the VR world that it sets up in uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake. That all of this is considered virtual training to better understand or in order to make the better soldier. Which is an interesting concept uh, to do it that way. Mm-hmm. I think it, it works in the world of Final Fantasy VII that way. But in terms of like actual gameplay, it's Battle Royale, Final Fantasy VII style. You can customize your character. There's no like actual, there's no like in-world locations that correspond to Final Fantasy VII, but no actual Final Fantasy VII characters that pop up that you interact with. Mm-hmm. You run around, you shoot, you can come in as a team, you try and be number one. It's Fortnite set in Final Fantasy 7. If that sounds like something for you, <laughs> Final Fantasy 7 colon the first soldier available for mobile. If it's not, yeah. Yeah, just like me, you can easily just play around, figure like, oh, that's what this is. All right, bye, and unsubscribe, undownload, delete. <laughs> and yeah, so that's why I played on mobile. But the game I want to talk about, yeah, the game I'm going to try and get you to play. Okay, you might enjoy it as much as I do. Kina, I'm oh, sorry, not Kina, Kana. Kana. It's pronounced Kana. Yeah. Colon Bridge of Spirits. Yeah. So, not since Jack and Daxter. And probably like the first um, Ratchet and Clank, as a new IP come out and instantly grabbed me within the first couple of levels. Cool. The world building is fantastic. The artistry is phenomenal. The jungle-esque settings and waterfall settings that you're in are some of the best that I've seen. And I'm running this out of the PS5. Um, so you know how when um, Uncharted came out 
and people were raving about how good it looked. That's Kana right now. Mm. That's the level we're talking about. And this is from a first, a new IP from a new studio too, um, work that created this game. The cinematics are on par with Disney animation. It is yeah. amazing the type of work and artistry that goes into this game. It's a lot more puzzle than it is combat, which I enjoy because you can just walk around and run around and one, collect everything, which I love. <laughs> Two, um, it basically like you can foresee yourself entering a fight, um, which you can kind of prepare for. And three, you can level yourself up to where each fight isn't that difficult. Like I, being me, ran around, grabbed everything, leveled myself up. So when I went to the next fight, it was spam, 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 done. <laughs> really quick, super easy. But oh, I'm also playing on like the story mode. I'm trying to enjoy because I just want to play for the story anyways. But visually, it is one of the best looking games out there um as we noted last week it's nominated for best independent game i think it's nominated for game of the year i don't believe it made the cutoff for game of the year but it is in that uh indie category yeah i expect it to win indie game um i expect this to spawn off a franchise i haven't beaten it yet i've only completed the first third Mm -hmm. of it but from what i've played it is phenomenal. Cool. It's more puzzle. And the reason I compare it's like it's as if someone like took the Naughty Dog's formula uh, from Jack and Daxter and Uncharted and made a spiritual esque game to them. It's beautiful. The gameplay is smooth. Play on the PS5, load screens do not exist. <laughs> you warp, it shows a splash screen, and then you're there. Yeah. It uses that SSD to its full potential. I am in love with this game. Cool. Yeah, I heard very limited things. It seemed like uh, it was a real come and go kind of thing in the industry. It seemed like media was talking about it for like three days and then stopped talking about it again. Um, one thing well, I heard. I think other games came out. Yeah, it. it was such a busy like September uh, when this yeah. thing came out that I think it got ignored. One thing I will say though is it seemed like a lot of commentary at the time was talking about how close it hues to uh, PS2 era platformer design. Some yeah. people said that that was almost to its detriment. Where if you don't have nostalgia for that era of platformers, like I know you do, it might be a little bit more difficult for somebody to get into it in that same way. Uh, but you didn't have that problem? No. I mean, I can see why people are saying that because yeah. it does lend itself to it, to that kind of gameplay and that kind of design. Yeah. But I think that's beneficial for it because it's a lot of open world exploring in this. Yeah. Um, it's not like there are no hard cut, cut scene you're going to a completely different like world now. It's all yeah. one built, huge, laid out world that you're traveling through. Yeah. Uh, very similar to like Borderlands was, yeah. where you can essentially 
play from start to finish without going through any warp screen. Okay. Um, the other thing that I wanted to ask you about this game is, and you kind of addressed this by saying that you uh, kind of grinded out levels and got yourself to a point where it wasn't that challenging. But what I've heard is that if you don't do that, the game actually it ha- does have a bit of a challenge to it. I heard it in conversations about when people were talking about Metroid Dread, that both those games have a deceptively difficult difficulty curve if you're not expecting it. Um, so I basically only did two upgrades and found it to be very, those like two main upgrades to be very helpful. Okay. And then like, as I got more stuff, like, oh, like I haven't unlocked stuff in a while. I have all this um, currency to use un- unlocks and just like unlock, unlock, unlock. Or like I'm waiting for like the next level so I can unlock like the third version of it. I mean, that is kind of my gameplay though of, okay, I'm entering this area. I'm going to one, get to the end, get the thing, get the MacGuffin to get the <laughs> power up and then work my way back down this side of the mountain to unlock everything before I leave this area. Yeah. That is how I play. And that does work in my favor of why I do love this game. It plays heavily into my strengths and my personality as a gamer. Okay. So if it's not your kind of style, I can see why you're very detrimental to it. But it's still super beautiful to look at. There are spots where you get into a meditation state in order to increase your level. But then it's just like the camera just zooms around in this very cinematic-esque event. And it's like, there's just so much work and artistry built into this game that you kind of want to sit there and let it go through its whole cycle and walk around. And it's just the lighting, the textures. There's a lot of care put into this game. It's amazing. Yeah, no, I'm excited to check it out. Uh, it will likely be on my next Gamefly queue um, as we kind of go into the doldrums of the winter release schedule. So, uh, yeah. Unless to... I'm able to beat it uh, this upcoming week. <laughs> that, yeah, we'll see. We'll see about that. All right, well, I think that'll wrap it up for video games, and I think that will also wrap it up for this podcast. So thank you for everybody joining us in the audio forum this week for an edition of the Media Vote podcast. We will be back live for you next week, tell you all about the holiday season news that continues to trickle out as we enter December. In the meantime, hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving week if you're in the United States. Hope you enjoy your time off if you were granted some in this nice four-day weekend. And I hope you'll join us next time. In the meantime, let's plug away. You can watch us in video form on our YouTube channel where you can search Media Boat Podcast and find our page. Like, subscribe, click the bell for notifications when we go live in the future. You can listen to the audio version on podcast services such as Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Amazon, among others, by searching Media Boat Podcast. You can find us on social media channels like Twitter, at Media Boatcast is our handle there. You can find us on Facebook by searching Media Boat Podcast. And wherever you else you want, just search Media Boat Podcast and maybe we'll show up. You can, and lastly, you can email us if you have questions, comments, feedback at all about the show. Mediaboatpodcast at gmail.com is that email address. So 
Thank you for joining us. We will see you next week for another proper edition. Also, look forward to in your feed very soon in the month of December, our year-end wrap-up for 2021 will begin shortly. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, We'll be back with more news, more thoughts as we get into December and the final month of the year. Yep. So look forward to that and see you next time. Bye-bye. Okay, bye.